What up, racing fans, and welcome back to the most important stop of the day. This is the Money Stop, and alongside Cole Cusimano from News from the Pits, my name is Steven Cusimano. Another great weekend of racing in Atlanta, and next week we go to the Bristol Dirt Track, one of the most highly anticipated races, dare I say, in NASCAR history. But Cole, six races this year, six different winners. We haven't seen that in quite a long time. First things first, how you doing, and how did the weekend go for you? Doing great. Um, I gotta be honest, I was pretty impressed with what we saw in Atlanta. I thought it was, I'm not gonna say miles above what 2020 was, but it was definitely an improvement. I was pretty entertained all the way throughout, thought we saw a lot of decent strategy. Um, Kyle Larson just put on an absolute clinic. I thought that was really fun to watch. You know, back in the day, I kind of get annoyed when some guys are running away with the race, but now I'm just really impressed by it. So, great performance by him, led a race high 269 laps. In the end, it was young Ryan Blaney, scored his fifth career win. Little fun fact here is that each of his five wins have come within the last 10 laps of the race, and this one came on a beautiful crossover move with nine to go. YRB, the man, I mean, what else is there to say? Like you said, uh, he's just uh, turned into a great closer. He's proven yeah. to be a guy, at least at this point in his career, that isn't dominating races, but he's a guy who's at the right place at the right time. And I think that's a perfect way to describe Ryan Blaney at this point in his career. He just, and I think his second career win at the Roval when uh, Jimmy Johnson and Martin Truex Jr. both wrecked, and that's how he got his second win uh, in, in the playoffs. I, I think that is a perfect example of Ryan Blaney being the most opportunistic driver in NASCAR. And here we are uh, right after Atlanta. Kyle Larson, like you said, in my opinion, one of the most dominant performances I have ever seen, and I've seen a lot of those, we both have, uh, with all of the Jimmy Johnson races from back in the day and Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, a lot of dominant performances. That was one of the most dominant ones I feel like I've seen in the stage racing era. And unfortunately for Team Hendrick and Kyle Larson, he just couldn't hold on. And again, Ryan Blaney able to steal the win and just peak at the perfect time. Yeah, and once again, he established himself as the clear-cut favorite of the day and, and potentially the entire season. I think the level he's competing at right now is is unmatched by all accounts. But it, again, it, it was a day, I think it's safe to say, dominated by Hendrick Motorsports. You had Alex Bowman running top five pretty much all day. William Byron with another solid top ten finish. I believe it's his fourth in a row. Only outlier was Chase Elliott. He had a Top 10 car, I'd say, around the top 10, but ended up with the engine failure in the final stage of the race. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, Hendrick Motorsports has really set the standard for these mile-and-a-half tracks. Unfortunately for Team Hendrick, of course, it has come in a year where NASCAR cut down the amount of mile-and-a-half tracks. But nonetheless, a great barometer that Hendrick Motorsports indeed is back. They've had great showings every single week. With that, let's run through the top 10. Again, Ryan Blaney the winner, Kyle Larson second, Alex Bowman third, Denny Hamlin, fourth. Kyle Busch, with a strong performance, ended up fifth. Austin Dillon, very consistent, sixth. And let's talk about another team later on in our Stacking Penny segment that continues to string together top ten performances at mile-and-a-half tracks. That's Roush Fenway Racing, because Chris Busher finished seventh, and then you mentioned William Byron, eighth. Martin Truex Jr., ninth. And then probably the surprise of the day, Kevin Harvick, who had won two of the last four races at Atlanta, Ended up finishing the race 10th after being caught a lap down early on in the race and taking a while to recover. So again, um, let's just actually start there. Stuart Haas Racing struggled once again. Kevin Harvick, say what you want, did not have a competitive car, finished 10th. Cole Custer, 18th. Eric Almarola, 20th. 
and Chase Briscoe 23rd. These Mustangs just have not been showing the speed that we all thought that they probably would be entering 2021. Yes, and I believe the term Kevin Harvick used for his Mustang on Sunday was the biggest piece of crap I've ever had in Atlanta, and that, that speaks volumes. Yeah. But, okay, last week we were, we were talking about how, okay, maybe Kevin Harvick is he's on the right track, he's just not as dominant as he was in 2020. Oh, that's obviously safe to say, but I think I am kind of going to hit the panic button a bit here. I think he is going to be good for a win or two this year, and he'll be competitive, as we've seen throughout the year, but it's just it's just puzzling um, because, as you mentioned, he did not have really a top 10 car. He was a borderline top 10 car all day, but the Kevin Harvick of old would have rebounded from that that flat tire at the competition caution on lap 25 and surged through the field and into the top 10, top 15 uh, before the stage ended. But it just was not the case. He was caught a lap down, I think even two laps down at one point for a large portion of the day. And I want to say 10th was the highest he got since having to go back down pit road for that flat tire. Exactly. So while one Ford team trends down, Stuart Haas Racing, another one trends upward. And that's a perfect transition into our Stacking Penny segment. A few teams that have put together really solid performances consecutively. And that is Roush Fenway Racing, Chris Buescher, and Ryan Newman. Both had good performances at Atlanta. And then also a former Roush Fenway Racing driver that I'm going to throw into this huddle here, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. ended up finishing 12th, another strong, consistent performance. I would venture to say that he's been one of the more consistent drivers all year, putting himself in position for a playoff spot. So, Cole, six races in, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., in addition to Roush Fenway Racing's mile-and-a-half program, a couple of teams that are stacking pennies right now. No question about it. I think Stenhouse is the epitome of stacking pennies. Over the last four weeks, finished 13th at Homestead, 11th at Las Vegas, and then back-to-back 12th place finishes between Phoenix and Atlanta. Yeah, the epitome of consistency. I think that this team is, they're going to be poised for a pretty decent year. I think that, like you said last week, um, they could be a playoff bubble team. I wasn't really sold last week, but after this performance and this string of runs last couple weeks, or last four weeks, um, it's it's very likely. And as far as Rush Fenway Racing goes, we did include Chris Buescher in our in our uh, DFS lineup for Atlanta, and I, I saw this coming. You know, Buescher and Newman had really strong runs at, at Homestead, and I it's a pretty similar track in Atlanta, so I assumed that they would continue that pace at another mile-and-a-half track. And it, it appears that could be the trend the entire year for this uh, Roush organization. Yeah, we were a couple mile-and-a-half races into the season, and it looked like maybe it could be a fluke as far as the speed that RFR was showing, but... Look at what we've seen now. I mean, Ryan Newman was running again in the top 10 most of the day and ended up finishing 13th at Atlanta. So all good things at the moment for Roush Fenway Racing. I was going to say, I want to see what their value is going to be in DFS at our next mile and a half track because clearly they were undervalued this week and we took advantage of that. But it's crazy to say our next intermediate track is not until May, May 2nd. They'll head to Kansas. But before that, it's four really interesting races. The Bristol Dirt Track, Martinsville, Richmond, and Talladega. So we'll have to wait a little while before the next intermediate track. Moving on to our next driver that is stacking pennies, Matt DiBenedetto. He's been on this list, I want to say two or three weeks in a row. I think he was an honorable mention three weeks ago. He was mm. on the list last week, and this week he proved with another strong run. Finished 16th, 14th, and 11th consecutively, so he got off to a really slow start out of the gates the first three races and has consistently improved his finishing position three races in a row. And this is exactly what Matt DiBenedetto needs. Last week, he was 26th in the standings. 
now improves to 24th, only 51 points behind a playoff spot, and that's definitely manageable. You've got guys like Daniel Suarez, Cole Custer, Ross Chastain, Bubba Wallace ahead of him, and these are guys that he can easily leapfrog, and the way he's been performing the last three weeks, I, I think that it's definitely likely that they're going to have a playoff run here shortly. And, I mean, I was very impressed in Atlanta. He was had a top 10 car all day. I think he even ran top 5 for a bit. So very pleased with the progression of that 21 team. And you mentioned the final driver on our Stacking Penny segment, and that is Bubba Wallace. He has finally sort of shaped into form. Last year, he was a borderline top 20 driver for most of the season. And this year, got off to a slow start out of the gates, as we were expecting with a brand new team. Um, but back-to-back top 16 finishes at Phoenix and Atlanta. And this is kind of what we were expecting out of Bubba Wallace in general this year, to kind of float around the top 16, sprinkle in a couple of top 10s, and we did see a a really strong performance out of Bubba at Phoenix last week, and then he was a little bit outside the top 10 this past week, but I'm excited for this upcoming stretch of tracks for Bubba Wallace. We go to the Bristol Dirt Track once again, but then we go to maybe one of his best tracks in Martinsville, so I'm excited to see what 2311 Racing and Bubba Wallace are able to do with the momentum that they currently have have going to a couple tracks that play to Bubba's skill set. Yep, couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, what he needs is a really another really strong run at this Bristol Dirt Race, and that will be a tall task just given all the uncertainty surrounding this race. But looking at Atlanta specifically, he did he did pretty well. Yeah, around a top fifteen car, maybe borderline top ten. But he he wasn't the lowest scored Toyota of the day. He actually finished ahead of Christopher Bell, who finished twenty first on the day. Uh, this is what Bubba needs. As mentioned, he's ahead of uh, Matt Benedetto in the standings. He currently sits 19th, and, you know, that's that's kind of where you want to be for a new team in 23-11 racing. But how about Daniel Suarez? He didn't make the list this week because he did have a, a bit of a pit miscue in the final stage, but wow, I am, I am very impressed by Daniel Suarez and Trackhouse Racing. Yeah, that was extremely impressive. I mean, we saw Daniel Suarez leading laps at Vegas, but that was because he stayed out and didn't pit. But this was, he was running top 10 and then really close to the top five in stage three and really unfortunate that their finishing position didn't reflect that. But this is very encouraging for Pitbull and Justin Mark's team, Trackhouse Racing. I mean, they were at a mile and a half track and putting together an extremely competitive performance in a race where it was pretty uneventful. It's not like he was only running in the top 10 because stronger cars fell out of the race. No, he had to run up there, and on a day where Kyle Larson was lapping so many cars, putting on a clinic, Daniel Suarez fought for his life to stay on the lead lap, got back up with the bunched-up pack after the caution, and he put together a strong performance, so credit to him and the Trackhouse Racing as a whole. We'll see what they can do at a couple of the more, again, short, unconventional tracks like Bristol and Martinsville. Also, a little fun fact for you guys. Daniel Suarez has led laps in all but two races this season. Yeah, it's been really fun to see, and like we mentioned a couple times in the previous episodes, he's just a guy that you love to see succeed, and let's be honest, this team was kind of a wild card coming into the season. Speaking of wild cards, though, the Xfinity series has proven to be that on certain weeks, but this was not one of those. We saw Martin Truex Jr. dominate this race before having to serve a pit road speeding penalty on the final set of pit stops of the race a.k.a. the money stop. So, Justin Allgaier came out there, was lurking around second and third all day, peaked at the perfect time, really similar to the cup race, thinking back on it now. But um, while we're talking about Justin Allgaier, I do want to mention 
We should have probably brought up his paint scheme in the nickel or dime segment Beautiful. last week because that Exalta car was impeccable. It looked great. It looked awesome doing the burnout, too, with the colored smoke and... During uh, golden hour, too. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was awesome. And honestly, I might even say that this is a cooler paint scheme than William Byron's Exalta car. Mm -hmm. Gotta feel good for Justin Allgaier, one of the real good guys in the garage. But the big story coming out of the day was the brawl that took place on pit road after the race between two of the young guns, Noah Gregson and Daniel Hemrick. Want to recap what happened there? Okay, yeah. It's a bit subjective. So... During a set of green flag pit stops, Daniel Hamrick overshot his pit stall and kind of went into Noah Gregson's, who was right ahead of him. Gregson was going into his pit box at the same time. Obviously, he had to overshoot it, and his tires were outside the pit box. Upon doing that, that would be a penalty if you do your stop like that. So he backed up into the number 18 of Daniel Hamrick. Whether it was intentional or not, that's for viewers to decide. NASCAR decided it was not, though. They did not penalize him. They thought that the contact was not deliberate. But the uh, argument that Daniel Hemrick made was that the middle finger sticking out of the cockpit yep. of Noah Gregson <laughs> would say otherwise. What say you? Obviously, just given Noah Gregson's reputation, you want to say that it was intentional. But at the same time, he's not stupid. He knows that these cars are essentially legal weapons. Whenever you get into your car, whether you're a daily driver or a race car driver, that is a legalized weapon. It, it is nothing to joke about. You don't want to put anyone's lives in danger. I don't think he intentionally rammed into the nose of his Toyota Camry. That's just not the case. Now, let's just have a little fun. Who do you think won? I mean, I would call it close to a draw, but if anyone, I feel like Daniel Hemrick landed a pretty good shot. Yeah. So upon the initial viewing, I thought Gregson got him pretty good, but then you had the exclusive view from Fox and Daniel Hemrick, as he mentioned in his interview, delivered a, a nice right hook to, to Gregson and rest is history. Noah Gregson is, let's talk about him for a second. He's creating kind of an interesting reputation. He has had run-ins with so many of the young up-and-coming drivers, including Daniel Hemrick, including Harrison Burton, who got clocked by Gregson last year after a race. You know, what does this do for his career going forward? Because I am a big supporter of Noah Gregson's. I think that his fire, his passion, the excitement that he brings to the sport is something that should be essential. And he's racing in good equipment. He runs well every week and just, you know, has some kind of bad fortune at the end of every race. And I will say, just venturing off for a second here, it was cool to see him have some trouble getting caught up in a wreck and then coming back to finish yes. top five. That was a really resilient performance, but... Just speaking on the reputation that he's sort of creating as this driver that maybe doesn't have the most respect in the garage because of the way he races other drivers and uh, the fire that he displays, the passion that he displays. I'm going to turn it over to you, but first, I just got to say, I kind of like it. I think, again, it's great for the sport, and I really hope that he does end up in the Cup Series at some point because I think he's a really talented driver. He is, to some degree, maturing every week, and mm. I'm excited to see what he does in his career. I'm a big supporter as well, and he reminds me a lot of his former team owner, Kyle Busch, in, in the way he goes about things, the raw talent he has, and his obvious reputation for being uh, fiery. I think that the reputation he's gaining across the garage is not good for the success of his career as a driver, only because he's not going to get a lot of breaks here and there from everybody in the field, but I love the personality he brings to the sport, something that, that NASCAR is severely lacking over the past few years. The only thing that could not benefit him is the fact that sponsors may shy away from this, but they may also embrace it as well, because again, it brings a much-needed personality into the sport. 
And I, I really do believe he is essential for NASCAR's growth process going into the future. I also want to say it's pretty interesting. Being a guy who drives for Dale Earnhardt Jr., 15-time most popular driver, it was weird hearing all those boos following the Atlanta race. Um, and that's, that says something. It says a lot, actually. It speaks volumes, and um, it's it's very cool to see a guy like Noah Gregson making his way through the rankings of the sport. Yeah, it's interesting to think about going forward with, again, the reputation he's created. You know, the drivers may think one thing of him, but the team owners, which is what matters more than anything, let's see what they think of him going forward. Does he get better opportunities at higher levels? Does he get retained by junior motorsports? That all remains to be seen. If he remains in good equipment, though, I think he's bound to be a cup driver. He has just raw talent. His, his, yeah. The way he handled that race was unbelievable. And again, we talked about this after the Homestead race, which he was two laps away from taking the checkered flag, ran into a lap car that blew a tire in front of him. Again, just no luck. He's not the most polished driver uh, in terms of his on-track product or in terms of the way he carries himself, but he's still young. There's room to grow, and I think that's something that maybe team owners and other drivers do need to take into consideration. We'll see what happens. I mean, not a lot of drivers had, have had to deal with the poor luck, the poor string of luck that he's had to deal with to start his Xfinity Series career. So we'll see what happens with Noah Gregson. Um, I do want to move on to the truck race, though. Honestly, there's not too much to talk about. Kyle Busch entered this race absolutely dominated. Wasn't much contention from anybody else in the field. A couple other strong performances, though, that I'll run through. Austin Hill finished second. John Hunter Nemechek, driver for Kyle Busch, finished third. Johnny Sauter, fourth. Sheldon Creed, fifth. And... A really talented driver, Zane Smith, 6th. Ross Chastain, from the bottom of the pack, finished 7th. Thoughts on this race, Cole? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I was actually working during this race. Uh, not much that really went on. As you mentioned, I, I was keeping track. Kyle Busch put on an absolute onslaught, led 102 of 130 laps. And I feel like I looked down, I looked back up, and he was the winner. Just under an hour and a half this race ran, but... You want to talk about dominance? That's an understatement for Kyle Busch at Atlanta in the Truck Series. Six wins in 13 starts. That is, like, unheard of. Almost 50%. Uh, what else can you say about Kyle Busch at Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, you know? when he's entered in a truck race, you pretty much just know that unless there's an unforeseen circumstance, he's going to win, especially at these tracks like Atlanta. Was surprised, though, that he did not win at Vegas a couple weeks before. But again, that was a race where we saw an unforeseen circumstance. With that being said, let's talk about what we're going to see on the track. Let's move on to our nickel or dime segment. We're going to rate paint schemes for the upcoming dirt race at Bristol. And you can look at all these paint schemes that we're going to mention on our social media at the underscore money stop on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Cole, thoughts on the paint schemes that we're going to see on March 28th at Bristol. Before we move on to Bristol Dirt, I just want to bring up one that we forgot to mention on the last episode, and that was Ross Chastain's 2B car. It had almost the exact same color palette as Alex Bowman's Ally car the week before in Phoenix, and it was, it was a really nice car. It was very, like, vibrant, very bubbly, if that, awesome. if that makes sense, but uh, I was a big fan of that one. That'd get a dime for me last week, just saying. Uh, but looking at this week, mentioned it last show. Big fan of blue and orange cars being the big Mets and Knicks fans that we are. And we've got quite a few this week. I, let's see. Let me pick a favorite between these three. I will go with Timmy Hill's Lift Hits for Less. This one's definitely a dime in my book. So you got a jagged orange line going down the middle of the car past the two wheel wells and the number. 
and then there's like a little, it's a, it serves as a barrier. So the bottom of that is like a steel metallic gray, and above that's like a royal blue. It looks like an awesome paint scheme. I can't wait to see it hit the track. I think once it gets dirt on it too, it's going to look really nice. I'm glad you picked that 66 car of Timmy Hill because it's awesome. I love it. But when it comes to the blue and orange cars, my favorite is that number 15 machine of Chris Wyndham, which is sponsored by NOS Energy this week. First of all, I've been a big fan of the NOS Energy paint schemes all throughout their time in NASCAR, going back to Kyle Busch's days in the Nationwide Slash Xfinity Series. They always put out great paint schemes, and this is no exception. Lots of blue, a couple of orange stripes on the front of the car, and a black hood. I think it looks really sharp, and like you said, I think we can say this pretty much about every paint scheme. Once it gets a little dirt on it, it's going to be really cool. I like the one a lot as well. That's my second favorite paint scheme for sure, just based off the color scheme and all that. Wasn't my, my top dollar, I'll call it, just because uh, I'm not crazy about the line placement in the front and the... Uh, NOS Energy sponsor logo on the quarter panel isn't the best, but color scheme, awesome. Love the black, orange, and blue. As far as the Tide Machine of Eric Jones goes, I do like this one. My only complaint is the use of Petty Blue. Obviously, you can't have a number 43 without Petty Blue, so I understand that, but I wish they would have maybe just put it on the, on the uh, not the hood, but the uh, roof of the car and replace the Petty Blue by the front wheel well with the Tide Blue instead. Completely agree. It would make it look agree. a lot better, but it is a really nice looking car. It is nice looking, and I do agree with you for the same reasons. I think that the Tide shade of blue would have looked better. I'm also not a big fan of the white and yellow on the back of the car, but moving on to probably my second favorite paint scheme of the week, Kyle Larson's car. I love mm. the black, the white, and then the light sort of periwinkle blue. Looks terrific. Uh, I, and I think, you know, Kyle Larson's going to be competitive in this race. It's going to be cool to see this car, dare I say, leading at some points of the race. That's probably my second favorite. Looks pretty identical to the Nation's Guard paint scheme, but just with blue instead of green. Yeah, um, I'm not a big fan of this car, to be honest. I'm, I'm going to give it a nickel only because I'm not a big fan of the periwinkle blue. And they're using uh, a gray for the uh, the lining on the car. I like how the Nation's Guard car looks with the black and the white and the green. And, of course, the Hendrix car, red, white, and blue, is beautiful. But this one just isn't doing it for me. It's a little bit too plain, too dim. It is cool to see Freightliner on the hood this week. I know it's not a Hendrix sponsor, per se, but it is a NASCAR-wide sponsor. So you are going to start to wonder when Larson's going to get his own sponsorship. And I'm sure that's going to come soon with the way he's performing and how he's progressed in his life and his career. Uh, and then, you know what? Okay, so I'm going to give my two, two of my dimes to... I mentioned Timmy Hill before, but there's still a driver to be announced. I'm going to assume it's Timmy Hill. If not, 66 is my favorite car. That's getting a dime from me. And the 15 of Chris Wyndham is getting the other dime. And my final dime for this weekend is going to go to Austin Dillon. So him and Tyler Reddick are running Bet MGM cars. Reddick's has a white hood, and Dylan's has a black hood, and it basically has the MGM Lion right by the front of the number. It's a very uh, fancy-looking, elaborate paint scheme, a lot of gold and black. Very and fitting, very it, fitting of the paint scheme. It's very nice, and, and that'll take the, my, my final dime of the week. And, and they race these at Vegas, too. I don't know if you they noticed. They did, they did, They're yeah. great cars. They look cool in person, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the only other paint scheme we haven't mentioned was Kevin Harvick's hashtag Bush Dirt Car. Kevin Harvick usually has really good paint schemes. This one, I mean, it's not bad, but it's just 
kind of pointless in my opinion. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's the thought that counts. They're doing a good <laughs> job of trying to uh, sort of play up the dirt aspect. And I do want to take this moment to talk about Bush Beer as a sponsor. They have been one of the most fun sponsors in NASCAR in quite some time, giving the opportunity to fans to name the race that they sponsor at Kansas later this year, the Bushy McBush race. I think that's Pretty hilarious. I kind of wish a different name would have won, but still funny. And just the creative and interactive, engaging things that they do on a weekly basis, and even playing it up to, you know, how big of an event this is for NASCAR, they are just really the prototype for, I think, the way sponsors should be involved in the sport and the engagement, the overall entertainment aspect that they brought in terms of integrating themselves with the sport and really defining themselves as a staple within NASCAR. All right, I'll leave my first segment here. So I think that was a perfect segue into the madness that will be Bristol Dirt. And now we're going to run through all the uh, specifications and rulings for this race. So this is the first cup race on dirt since 1970, although trucks have been racing Eldora since 2013. So as far as specifications go in the rules package, the spoiler will be shortened to 6 inches in height, 51 inches long, 750 horsepower, no front splitter, screen coverings over ducts, body stiffeners are allowed for more durability, deck lid hinges, spindles, and steering arms could be reinforced, underslung caliper mounting can be modified as well, and there can be a debris deflector placed on the hood under certain specifications as well. English, please. I mean, for those of us who don't follow cars as closely as, as others, does that just mean that the cars are going to be more durable? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as we know, as it, we mentioned in, in one of the shows recently, the Xfinity cars are, are kind of similar to dirt cars in a sense okay. where they're more durable. They're not as, as finicky and aero-dependent if you get into the wall or get into somebody else. So this is basically just to give the car some more durability when the inevitable does happen and they, they scrape the wall or hit another car. I mean, outside of that, this is going to make for some fun racing because oh, I yeah. think because of all the reasons you just named, drivers are not going to be afraid to beat and bang the bumpers. I think this is going to make it so fun. I mean, it's going to be like bumper cars, potentially. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then as far as how this weekend will follow through, this will be the first time in almost a year that we've had practice and qualifying. So there will be practice it will take place on Friday, March 26th for Trucks and Cup, two 50-minute practice sessions each, and then the starting lineup will be set by qualifying heats, both held on March 27th on Saturday. Trucks will race later that night. So here's how they'll, they'll line up. There will be four 15-lap heat races, and they'll determine this by random draw and, and current owner points, similar to how the grid was set for a majority of 2020. Um, only green flag laps will count. There will be free passes and wave rounds in effect. Drivers will accumulate points for passing and finishing positions. So this will determine the starting lineup uh, as a collective. If you go backwards or tie where you started, you don't lose points. You just gain none. Tiebreaker refers to the owner points. That's all the changes for the cosmetics of the cars and for the practice and qualifying leading up to the race. But as for the event itself, stages are going to be 75, 75, and 100 for a collective 250 laps at Bristol in the cup race. For the trucks, it's going to be 150 laps, 40, 50, and 60 respectively in the stages. They're also going to use new grid-treaded tires. There will be no choose rule in effect, no live pit stops, and you're not going to be able to work on the cars or fuel tire changes, anything like that, until the scheduled breaks. So Cole, expectations for Bristol. I mean, this is, again, one of the most highly anticipated races 
dare I say, in NASCAR history. Haven't raced on the dirt in decades, and a lot of people expect this race to be just out of control. There's going to be some new drivers, guys that specialize in dirt. But, you know, I'm going to go out, Cole, on a limb here and say I don't think this race is going to be as wild as people are expecting. These are professionals. I think that they're going to adjust to it within the first 75 laps after stage one. I think that since this race is being run during the daytime, that the dirt is going to harden. I think it's going to turn into a little bit more of a uh, defined surface as opposed to uh, the traditional dirt races that you might watch on a Saturday night. But, you know, I, I do think that it's not going to be as crazy as people think. I still think it's going to be bananas. But with that being said, what do you think? I actually think the same exact thing. I think maybe practice and the heat races could get a little dicey because they're trying to figure out the track and the cars and all that. But, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed by all the drivers in this field through, through all three series, actually, because we have a couple of guys running trucks as well from the Xfinity series. But... Um, everyone's made the effort to go out there and really put in the work to, to learn the basics of, of dirt racing. Cause I think by my count, there's only four full-time drivers who came up through dirt racing and that's Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell and Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe. So having said that, I do think that it will be a learning curve for many drivers, but as you mentioned, they're all professionals. It's not going to be a complete mess as far as the racing itself. So Spoke with Tyler Reddick earlier this year, and he is one of the most established dirt racers of all time, championship winner. He believes that since this race is being run in the daytime, that it's going to rubber up quicker and more so like uh, like concrete, kind of like Dover in a way. And it, it won't be as wild as we're imagining, so that could play a factor. But in speaking with uh, some of the crew guys from Starcom Racing today, actually, with these new grid-treaded tires, they're a hard compound, so they're not going to rubber up the track as quickly as you might imagine uh, with you running those those classic Hoosier softer tires. But they, they do believe that it's going to rubber up quite a bit. You'll get that classic black line around the track. And then one thing I'm curious to see in these uh, Bristol Dirt Nationals, there's what the, the dirt racing community refers to as dirtles, and that's little bumps in the in the racing surface that cause your car to, to lose control. And we saw many cars throughout the weekend flip in qualifying races, in the race in general, and that, I don't think it'll play a huge factor in, in cars going airborne per se, but I think it, it, it's, it will potentially play a factor in cars wrecking and losing control if it's not uh, taken care of by the uh, the track team. Another thing worth noting, there is rain in the forecast for this weekend. Oh. <laughs> Don't know if it's going to rain on Sunday or Saturday, but mud could play an issue, and that's something that <laughs> no one was expecting. So just to confirm, if it rains, they would race? I believe so. And in the famous words of Julie Chen from our favorite reality TV show, expect the unexpected this weekend. Yes, and our favorite reality TV show, by the way, if you didn't know, is Big Brother. But Cole, the bottom line here is just that there are so many unknowns this week. There is so much that we can speculate on like we just did with the changes to the cars and the format and who's racing. But the, again, the bottom line is there are so many unknowns, but with this, we do have to, we got to make predictions. We got to sort of think about what is going to happen on the track this upcoming weekend. So with that being said, who can we expect to run up front on Sunday? Without a doubt, Kyle Larson. You know... He wants to win this race badly. He is a product of dirt racing. He's probably the best dirt racer of all time, if I have to say myself. 
And um, I think Christopher Bell will have another strong run. Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe, also two products of dirt, could have good runs as well, having that experience. But, you know, they, they've struggled a lot in 2021 so far. So maybe this could be just what they need to get back on track. I do want to say, for as much practice as these other cup regulars are getting, there is a certain art to dirt racing. A lot of people may think to the untrained eye, it's just, you know, drifting a car around the track, scooting the ass end out, and, you know, just winging it. But there is an art to getting around this track. You really got to get that left rear tire hooked down so you got some corner speed. And contrary to what you may think, you really need to have the car straightened out, not on an angle when you're racing this thing. And I think that Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Chase Briscoe, these guys have it down to a science. They're going to get it figured out real quick, probably quicker than the other guys. And I expect those guys to be up front a majority of the day. But as far as some guys who we could see coming to the fold, uh, guys like Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, and Austin Dillon have really impressed me during these Bristol Dirt Nationals races. Austin Dillon actually won one of the races. Um, just the work they're putting in has, has been incredible. And just how those guys specifically have performed this season, I think they could give uh, those dirt guys run for their money. So with all of that being said, let's take it to the bank and make our race predictions for the unpredictable, wild, haywire Bristol dirt race on Sunday, March 28th. So Cole, we're doing this a little bit early this week because there is practice and qualifying. We don't know what the starting lineup is going to be. So again, we're recording this a little early. So I'm going to say that these are subject to change as far as our final predictions, just for credibility purposes. So we're going to make predictions now. They may or may not change based on the starting lineup and what happens in practice. But anyway, I went first last week, so you go first this week. Well, no surprise here. I'm taking Kyle Larson. I think he's competing at a ridiculous level. I think that he is determined more than anyone to win this race, especially coming off that stinger in Atlanta. Kyle Larson, you know what? I'm going to go on record and say he puts on a clinic again. He leads, like, over 100 laps. I wouldn't be surprised. just dominates this thing. For my sleeper, it's a little bit more tricky. Huh. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Austin Dillon, actually. You know, he's been a guy that's that's had his appearances on the Stacking Pennies segment from time to time. He's been very consistent this year, and I think that win at, at the Bristol Dirt Nationals is only going to give him the confidence in the world to go out and just, you know, wheel it. But finish third in the Daytona 500, back-to-back 12-place finishes at Homestead and Las Vegas, and then most recently a sixth-place finish in Atlanta. So Austin Dillon will be my sleeper for this weekend. This is a really interesting week for picks because the guys who are normally sleepers, I feel like might not be this week. And so my race winner is actually going to be Tyler Reddick. He would be a nice. sleeper any other week. In fact, You've picked him as a sleeper two separate times this year, but this week, I'm going to pick him as my race winner. He has shown speed at times this year, including at Homestead, and I think this is going to be his shining moment, and who knows? I mean, anything can happen. There very well could be a surprise winner, and of course, that makes it very difficult to pick a sleeper this week, and honestly, I didn't even know who I was going to pick coming into recording this podcast because there are five names that really jump off the page, but I'm going to go outside the box and pick a guy that doesn't have a ton of dirt racing background, and that is Bubba Wallace. We mentioned he is stacking pennies, and I also touched on the fact that Bristol's one of his best tracks, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he comes out, figures this thing out pretty well in practice, and he tends to do well in the wild card races. You know, we've seen him run well at Daytona, Talladega, Martinsville, Bristol in the past. 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe he finishes top five. I could see Bubba Wallace, if this does rubber up pretty well and turn into a maybe, I don't want to say uneventful race, but more of a clean race, and there aren't a ton of on-track incidents, maybe Bubba Wallace has a typical Bristol performance, which again is one of his best tracks, so that's my sleeper this week. I do want to say though, um, this week, again, we're recording this early in the week because we don't know yet what the starting lineup is going to be with the qualifying and practice. So with that being said, we're not going to have our DFS lineup recommendation available right now if you're listening to this early in the week, but we should have that up by maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever the lineups become available after the qualifying. I will say I'm very excited to see what the prices look like this week, specifically how expensive Kyle Larson's going to be on uh, DraftKings this week. And, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what the guys who are deeper in the pack making their first career start, like Stuart Friesen, uh, how expensive they're going to be in DFS as well. But again, stay tuned to our social media at the underscore money stop for our lineup recommendation. And again, we've been winning you guys some money. These lineups have been doing pretty well. So take it to the bank. Those are our race predictions. And before we go, I just want to say it's going to be an amazing weekend. First race since 1970 for the Cup Series on dirt. And we've got a bunch of guys pulling double duty uh, between the trucks and Cup Series. So in the Truck Series, we have seven Cup Series regulars making the start in this field. I'll roll down the list here. Daniel Suarez in the number 02 for Young's Motorsports. Chase Briscoe in the number 04 from Roper Racing. Bubba Wallace in the number 11 for Hattori Racing Enterprise. Kevin Harvick in the number 17 for David Gilliland Racing. Myatt Snyder from the Xfinity Series makes his start in the number 33 for Ream Brothers Racing. Ryan Newman, cool story here, number 39, first time since I believe 2013, in a newly formed team just for this weekend called DCC Racing from J Jimmy Means' son Brad Means. And then Kyle Larson's going to be piloting the number 44 for Nice Motorsports. And finally, Martin Truex Jr. in the number 51 for Kyle Busch Motorsports. And then the sole driver making the transition from truck to cup is going to be Stuart Fried, and as mentioned by Steven, in the number 77 for Spire Motorsports. I'll tell you what, that makes me even more confident in my sleeper pick, Bubba Wallace, because I really think that these seven drivers are going to pick up some really good experience and keys to watch for and implement potentially on Sunday from participating in this race. So we'll see what happens. This is going to be absolute must-see TV. It's going to be unpredictable, potentially chaotic, and it's just such a change of pace from what we have normally seen from NASCAR, just going back to grassroots racing and something we haven't seen from this sport at the Cup Series level in decades. I couldn't agree more. I, I'm very excited for this weekend. We've got the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series starting at 8 p.m. Eastern on FS1 on Saturday, March 27th. And then finally, the Cup Series returns to dirt 3.30 p.m. Eastern for the Food City Dirt Race on Fox. And as Ryan Blaney would say, I love the smell of fresh dirt at Bristol. Perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you all again so much for tuning in to the Money Stop, the most important stop of the day. And don't forget... Add our stop to your social media at the underscore money stop. We're going to have excellent content all week. And if you haven't followed us yet, we're posting great graphics of our race predictions and everything like that every single week. And our personal accounts at Steven underscore Cusimano and at Cole underscore Cusimano underscore. I will have some really fun stories this week for the Bristol Dirt Race uh, from News from the Pits. Interviewing Charlie Langenstein from Starcom Racing. Really accomplished dirt background. As he's a five-time Cup Series champion, five consecutive with Jimmy Johnson, Stephen. No, you'll love to hear that. Really great interview, really great guy. And then I'll be speaking to some of these younger guys in the Truck Series going up against that deep 
cup-heavy field, going to pick their brains and see how they are going to react to driving around them and the pressure going into this event. There you have it, the Bristol Dirt Race, March 28th. It's going to be must-see TV. Definitely want to tune in, and thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of The Money Stop. We're going to drop the jack, and we will see you next week.